This is the Wintrust Business Lunch. Here's Craig Bolanos, the co-founder and CEO of Wealth Management Group at investwithwmg.com. Hi, Craig. Welcome back to the Wintrust Business Lunch. Bonjour, Jean. Parlez-vous français? <laughs> no. So, <laughs> so, you know, I've decided that I'm just going to stop trying to read too much, be too happy or too upset with the market's fluctuations. Every day, every week, it's it's... It's something, isn't it? And so you really can't tell if the market's down today what that means, except maybe what it's reacting to in this 24-hour window. That's about right, isn't it? Everything's about the short-term news cycle, but it makes for fantastic TV and even better platforms of radio, does it not, John? And certainly, I think that jobs number that we got last week, talk about something hot, blew away expectations on all fronts. Well, and, and that is a very real thing. I mean, that's not just, hey, the market was up or down today, but that's that's a number that I think is going to resonate for a while. And isn't it an example of how the good news can be bad, or sometimes the bad news might be good? Talk about that for a second. Buy the rumor, sell the news, good news is good news, bad news is good news. Yes, all of that stuff. Let's unpack that jobs data. I mean, think about what we learned. On the surface, we put 517,000 people to work last month. The unemployment rate dropped to 3.4%, the single best number we've had since 1969. And for yet another month in a row, the labor participation rate expanded, meaning more people who were sitting on the couch decided to go back to work. So you look at that as a headline and you say, wow, the stock market must need to be taking off. But the exact opposite has happened because now it would appear that the Federal Reserve is going to have to hike rates again on their March 22nd meeting. And maybe, just maybe, we're not going to have the Fed cut rates at the end of the year, given how tight the job market continues to be. Well, explain that relationship to me between employment and inflation and therefore the interest rates. Why is it that because more people are working, um, the Fed feels that they have to keep interest rates high. Well, you know what? You and I both would agree, as would every American, that more people having jobs is a fantastic thing. But when we look at this concept of inflation, we can look at it through two different lenses. There's the cost of goods. Oil is down. Wheat is down. All these commodity prices are down. But then there's another side to the trade, and it's what I call the services side of inflation. And when we look at the services side of inflation, in fact, we look at shelter, you know, housing, components like that, the more monies people have, the more monies they tend to spend. And as a result, good jobs data is going to continue to keep shelter expensive. Good jobs data is going to cause businesses to have to continue to pay right. larger wages. And as a result, the Fed says, wait, we don't want to have a wage price spiral like we did in the 70s. we got to start getting the jobs market to cool down and slow the growth of pays, pay increases. More money chasing, fewer goods. But I wish we'd fix this problem on the supply side then, rather than trying to decrease the number of people and dollars that are available in the market. Let's, you know, jobs and dollars. Let's let's ramp up production so that the prices don't go up. Easier said than done, I suppose, huh? 
productivity is a very elusive thing. That's what a lot of people talk about. We can get in the weeds. But if I take a look at the supply side, I want to remind everybody, you and I talk time and time again on your business hour, that nothing was ever going to get better on the supply side in the globe until China reopened for business. And that officially happened on January 8th by land, by air, by sea. And I have to think that once China starts growing again, it's a messy reopening. We are going to have some better supply and some increased productivity. Puts our relationship with China in light of this recent news this weekend in a a, a brighter light, if you will, eh? Talking to Craig Bolanos, founder and CEO of Wealth Management Group. Okay, so um, any good news on the horizon? That is, any bad news on the horizon, Craig? What else are you looking at this week? Well, certainly we could have more balloons floating over the country anytime soon. I hope not. But if you want a piece of good news, let me deliver it in a very genuine way. John, we did have the January trifecta. Yes, the January trifecta came. You got the Santa Claus rally. You got the first five-day indicator. And remember the old barometer, as goes January, so goes the year. That's in the books. Now back it up with another one. It happened on Thursday of last week. Not a death cross. Those are bad. That was last year, we had a golden cross registered in the S&P 500 for the first time in more than two years. That's what all the traders look at when the 50-day moving average moves above the 200-day, and it typically indicates in the ensuing 12 months that returns move higher. So there is some good technical backdrop to the market. That being said, this is still all about the Fed, still all about inflation, and that's where we'll take our cues from day to day. That's a new vocabulary phrase for me, golden cross, the 50-day trend better than the 200-day trend, meaning you've got enough heft to this thing to believe in it, and it's better than the past 200 days. That's what you're telling me, right? That's essentially what I'm telling you. What I am suggesting is the stock charts. There is no guarantees when it comes to life. Everybody knows that. But if people said, what's the probability of occurrence, it would look like those horrific lows that we all felt that we all experienced in 401ks and IRAs for stock investors last year. Odds are those lows that we endured at September 30th, October 1st are probably it, and it looks like we've reversed the trend. That is not a signal where everybody should be piling in. I think people should always be very measured and intentional with their investing for retirement, for college. But the good news is some of the technical damage that has been done has been reversed in short order, and that should give people a little bit more confidence to stay committed to their long-term asset allocation plans. You like auto, you like financials, you like uh, health care. What sectors do you like? Oh, well, you know, let's talk about long term. You know, long term, I say right away, how can someone not love health care? It hasn't been participating as of late, but we might just be in the golden age of big pharma. I mean, take a look at some of the breakthroughs that are happening. I might mispronounce the name like semaglutide and some of these issues that companies are solving relative to type 2 diabetes, you know, various things. It's absolutely amazing. And a lot of those health care companies, 
companies have very strong cash flows, and that's great when you're in a position of rising rates. On the other side of the trade, who doesn't want to continue to play offense with defense? And that's why I think people, even though the Dow Jones hasn't really moved this year compared to the S&P and the NASDAQ, people are going to continue to focus on dividends because dividends still matter. Dividends have always mattered. And third, while technology is not dead, I think the days of valuing companies on price to sales versus price to earnings is probably over, but you still have to have some form of growth, some form of technology in your portfolio, because it's innovation that creates disruption. That's a long-term investable theme. And I think if people follow those guidelines, they should prosper in the years to come. Some of these tech companies are not doing that well right now, at least in terms of uh, what's been happening with their stock, or, or for that matter, their employment. Dell just laid off another or is going to 6,000 people and they're not the only ones. No, they're not the only ones. We've seen the layoffs from Dell, 6,600, as you mentioned, Amazon, Microsoft, Google, etc. There is certainly what I call job loss at the margins. And the only reason I say at the margins is a lot of these companies did mass amounts of staffing for talent inside the last 12 to 24 months, and they're culling what they deem to be some of that excess off. And that makes sense because we are moving into this slow growth environment. That is what is here for the economy. We're not talking about GDP that we count on three or four fingers. We can probably count it on one. And I think good leadership by good companies, they need to continue to focus on their operating margins. And that means probably having some reductions in forces we're seeing. I don't think that's a trend that just started and ended. I think it's something that's going to continue for the months to come. All that notwithstanding, though, the as you said earlier, 500-plus thousand jobs were created last month. And if that continues, then the Fed is going to get tougher, uh, is going to get more hawkish on interest rates, right? Instead of back to zero, we're going to see another quarter point for sure, right? Oh, I would hope that the Federal Reserve can, does, and they absolutely should give us another quarter point hike on the 22nd of March. And then you might say, Craig, what will they do in April? Nothing, because there is no policy meeting. What would the Fed likely do and what should they do on the 3rd of May, which will be the next opportunity? I hope they just sit with it and see how the world reacts to the full brunt of these massive interest rate hikes that we have endured over what will be the last 14, 15 months by the time we get to May. And we'll take our cues at that stage. But yes, one more quarter point hike should be due on the March 22nd meeting. Well, we're talking about jobs here, but I mean, that's what we're all waiting for. We're waiting for interest rates to go down, right? Then the housing market and and, uh, consumerism, everything then rebounds, right? That's what we're waiting for, right? Well, I think the, let's be sincere about this. We have moved back to normal. I mean, John, you, you don't have to share, but I'm pretty willing to bet your first mortgage might have been more than sub-3%. Wouldn't you agree? It was uh, about 11%. Okay, and my, and my first one was 8 and 7 eighths. I remember it like yesterday. So people having mortgages on 30-year amortizations that start with a 6, 
I don't think it's anything revolutionary. I think we've just lost our way since 2007. It's been 16 years that we've been living in a world of zero-rate interest policies. I think we're actually back to normal. I think 3 to 3.5% three money markets and 4% CDs and 4.5% treasuries and 5% corporate bonds is normal. So I don't think that anybody should be waiting around to think that we're actually going to have the Federal Reserve assertively cutting rates back to zero because the only reason we were there in the first place was because of the Great Recession, which was the worst thing since the Great Depression. So I would like to see us just level out from here and let this be the return to the new normal. Mm. Well, then we're spoiled because I don't think everybody's hoping, oh, good, interest rates are going to stay at 7% or 6%. They want to go back to 3 uh, You're telling me, dream on, kid. I think our first was 10.5%, but I know we had a, a, a an arm. We had an adjustable rate mortgage in there somewhere, so the rate we probably could have got was higher than that, but we we gambled. We took that... that, that uh, uh, 8 point or 10.5% rate, and uh, then eventually sold that house before it adjusted. Um, okay, enough about me. Good to talk to you, Craig. We always appreciate your insight. Thanks for joining us today. Great to be back, John. Craig Bellanos, co-founder and CEO of Wealth Management Group. Invest with WMG.com. We're visiting with Jim Dalkey, the national editor at American Inno. You can click on ChicagoInno.com to read about 23 Chicago startups to watch in 23. I get it, 23, 23. That's pretty clever, Jim. Hey, John. Yeah, you know, we've actually been doing this list in Chicago way back to 15 to watch in 2015. So uh, I don't know how much longer we're going to keep doing this before the list gets a little unruly on us. But yeah, you know, every year at Chicago, you know, uh, really we set out to kind of identify some early stage newish startups that people really should have their eye on over the years. Um, some companies on this list have included uh, folks like Talk, which was acquired by Squarespace for about $400 million. Tempest, the biotech company led by Eric Lukofsky, was on this list before it raised about a billion dollars in outside capital and valued now at one of Chicago's highest value tech startups at $8 billion. So, you know, really the, the idea with this list was to kind of pinpoint some early companies that, that folks should really have on their radar. And so uh, you can check out the full list at ChicagoNO.com. But uh, some of the 23 that I are, you know, really, really caught my eye, um, you know, one is Oris DX. This is uh, a company out of the University of Chicago, actually won first place at the school's prestigious New Venture Challenge. They want to take, um, you know, they're creating a test for oral cancers with just a sample of your saliva. So, you know, really a non-invasive diagnostic screening tool here that can help to t- detect uh, oral head and neck cancers earlier. And so, uh, you know, any company that kind of comes out of that challenge is, is certainly one to watch. The, that challenge is also birthed companies like Grubhub and Tovala and Braintree and some big Chicago startup wins. Um, another company on this list I'm really into is, is Parentally. Uh, this is a startup that's really taking on um, parental leave for, for moms. Um, we're really focusing on the work aspect of it. So it's really, you know, kind of helping prepare the company and the, the woman about to take leave um, to prep for the leave and then help onboard them when they come back. So the 
parental leave can be kind of a messy process for the business as it loses one of its key employees and it's certainly a messy process when they come back to work. And so what parentally does is really works with the company and the person that's about to take the leave to prep and plan for the leave and then help them come back when the leave is over. And it's something that's really important now as companies kind of really embrace uh, parental leave, obviously, and really extend their leave beyond what workplaces have done traditionally. And so those are a couple, one more, of course, that I'm really, really interested in. I think we've chatted about as a company called Protege. This is a, a mix of a, a, a you know, a cameo and masterclass. So essentially what this does is it connects up and coming artists with professional musicians and professional artists already in the field. Some of the famous folks on their platform include DJ Khaled and Jason Alexander, the actor from Seinfeld. And so you can get some uh, acting advice some singing advice, uh, music advice from famous folks and kind of show your talents in the process. So those are a few companies that really stand out to me. A lot of them, or at least some of them, are related to food, Clever Carnivore and Entree, which you write offers a new delivery platform designed to bring fine dining into customers' homes. Um, There's going to be a Venture Summit uh, in May this spring with a focus on food as well, right? That's right. The Chicago Venture Summit is officially coming back. Uh, we just reported last week they're going to be here in May. And the Chicago Venture Summit uh, now, and if it's you know it's several years old now, really kind of the marquee you know venture event in Chicago. And essentially, what that means is, hey, here's a chance for you know investors from outside of the city to come into town and see what's going on in the startup scene and invest. And um, there has been a food focused event before, so this is the second one that Chicago will do that's focused specifically on food. And obviously there was a lot of success in that last time. And they think that, that they're you know, going to have success again. And what these venture summits I think are really doing is leading into what Chicago does well. So there's been a logistics focused uh, venture summit in the past as well. And so really, as you can see, food, logistics, some of the sectors that Chicago is really known for is startup sector is, is kind of really seeing promise in as well. Um, and, you know, Chicago's, uh, you know, successful companies include Grubhub, for example, Foxtrot, these companies that we've mentioned before, those are big food companies and logistics. You've got companies like Project 44. Um, so we're, you know, really leaning in, I think, to what Chicago does well in the tech and startup scene. These venture summits are really, you know, designed to bring more attention, more investors, more dollars into the startup ecosystem. I'm thinking about the different trends in food, like one would have been the delivery services that are out there. Another one was the businesses that were popping up everywhere where you cook the meal or they prep it for you and then you go pick it up. But there were grew, there were businesses around Chicagoland where you could get together with your friends or you could just go on your own, use their industrial-sized kitchens and make whatever meals you want, freeze it, and then take it home. Um, I guess there's a whole yeah. bunch of different avenues in that industry, isn't there? There is. And, and, you know, there's one Chicago startup that, you know, has really caught, you know, my eye and lots of folks I lately called Tovala. This is a company that's created a, you know, a physical oven that sits on your kitchen countertop. Yeah. Um, you know, this is, you know, you're, everybody's got limited space on their counter, but Tovala really kind of cre- helps you kind of create these restaurant quality meals. Super, super easy. They've got a delivery service as well. So they've raised a bunch of funding and are definitely a company to watch. I, I agree. I saw one of their commercials finally on TV not that long ago, and I just thought this is such a swing uh, and hopefully a hit, right? But I mean, it's it's a device that you need to buy. It's a subscription service. It looks easy. It looks delicious. It looks clever. But I wonder if people are going to stay with that because you've seen trends come and go. You, I, do you have a feel for how viable that product is? 
You know, I think they're a very interesting point in their uh, company life cycle and a bit of an inflection point because it seems like they're very close to kind of hitting this mainstream adoption where people are aware of it kind of as nationally people are aware of the, you know, instant pot craze from a couple of years ago and, you know, air the air fryer craze yeah. that's going on right now. Exactly. Right. So I think that they're kind of on the verge of that. Um, and it'll be interesting to see over the coming, you know, year plus if they're able to kind of, you know, with additional marketing and with additional customer support, get over that hump and be kind of become that mainstream staple in, in your, your, your kitchen counter. So um, I've tried the food. It's, it's terrific. I think they do a great job. It's not just the uh, subscription service too. you can cook your own stuff in there. So, uh, you know, Tovala, I think, has an opportunity here to kind of really be one of Chicago's kind of consumer startup staples. And, you know, one other trend is just as long as we're going down that path is the non-meat meats. Did you have some of those people that are making, uh, you know, protein that is not animal protein? Is that one of the 23 companies to watch? Yeah, you know, that's the clever carnivore. So they're really doing that bioengineering, right? So they're making actual pork, beef, and chicken in a lab using stem cell biology. Uh, haven't tried it myself, but they're not, you know, they're the only company that's doing that. There's aquaculture food is doing something similar on the, the seafood side. And so, um, yeah, hey, you know, look, like we said, no surprise that Chicago kind of leading in some innovation in the food space because, hey, Chicago's a, Chicago's a food town. Yeah. I uh, got uh, less than a minute left. Just give me the headlines on this uh, Dimension INX. What is that? Yeah, Dimension Inc. This is a Northwestern spin-out. Just raised $12 million in funding. They're doing 3D-printed implants, so they just got some FDA approval for a 3D-printed bone graft that's going to be live soon. So some big moves there from a Northwestern spin-out. 3D implants, meaning bone grafts? What about breast implants? Uh, Other things uh, that we use to substitute for body parts? They do all that? Yeah, just the bone graft for right now. That's what we got FDA approved, but uh, it will it'd be interesting to see where they go from there. Yeah, no kidding. All interesting stuff. Okay, always fun to visit with Jim Dalkey, national editor at American Inno. You can read all this at chicagoinno.com. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, John. This is the Wintrust Business Lunch on WGN. We've got more business news with Steve Grzanich. Start your timer. It's time for the Wintrust Business Minute, sharing Chicago's business news of the day. A Chicago tech startup is about to roll out a hardware software kit that will make most modern tractors fully autonomous. Cranes report Savanto will roll out the self-driving retrofit in the coming months, beating big companies like Deere to the punch. The other companies have been using self-driving tech, but it still requires a driver to take control at the end of each row of corn or soybeans. Savanto's system automates that tractor turnaround. The expected price for the kit will be about $50,000 and up per unit. Its release comes at a time when American farms are dealing with big labor shortages. By the way, Savanto means servant in Japanese. Rivian Automotive is reportedly developing an electric bike. The company, which is a production facility in downstate Normal, currently produces pickup trucks and delivery vans. Bloomberg says the CEO disclosed the e-bike at a recent company meeting. A group of engineers is currently working on that project. It's not clear yet if it'll be a bicycle or motorcycle. The company has patents for electric bicycle components and designs. No timeline for its production has been revealed. 
I'm Steve Grzanich, and that's your Trust Business Minute. Here's the business of food and Steve Alexander. Okay, here's a story of a Chicago sports mom who did not like the sports drinks being given to her kids at games. I wanted a natural option that would actually hydrate better. So Michelle McBride got to work, but... This is not one of those types of products that I could just, you know, make in my kitchen. She brought in Dr. Bob Murray, who is... An internationally renowned expert on sports nutrition and hydration. He was the co-founder and director of the Gatorade Sports Science. Institute. And she found some like-minded investors you may have heard of. Ken Griffey Jr., Ronnie Lott were two of our initial investors. Okay, five years in, how's it going? Well, it's going great. So we launched in the Chicago area in retailers like Jewel, and now we just launched in over a thousand Walmart stores across the Midwest. Wow, that's kind of big. Yeah, it's an exciting time for sure. And attention dairy farmers, good sport is made from milk, which is well known to be a great source of protein for recovery after a workout. But those same proteins are not so great in your gut when you're trying to work out. So Michelle and her team of scientists figured out a way to preserve the great hydrating qualities of milk. We work with dairy processors who ultra filter milk and remove its protein. And so we have a clear drink packed with the broad spectrum of electrolytes and the right balance of carbs to provide superior hydration. Okay, here's the big test. Do her kids like the taste of it? They love it. And not only her kids, but pro athletes too. Good sport is purchased by teams in the NFL, NBA, WNBA, and MLB. And in fact, we're an official hydrator of the Chicago Sky. And there's one more thing this sports mom wanted to change. The behavior of adults on the sidelines of kids' games. There was some pretty atrocious behavior. So we are committed to creating a more positive culture in sports. And she says good sports involved with a number of organizations trying to make that happen. Michelle McBride, sports mom, now sports drink executive with Good Sport Nutrition. You can find out more at goodsport.com. That's the business of food on 720 WGN. Aaron Mock is a tech news reporter at Insider. Businessinsider.com is the website. Boy, I'll tell you what, ChatGPT was nothing few weeks ago. Seems like we talk about it every day now, Aaron. It's all the rage, isn't it? It is. And are you a human being? I have to preface all of these conversations with, am I talking to a person or a bot right now? <laughs> I am indeed a human being, yes. Sounds a little robotic. Okay, I'm just going to take your word for it. Um, <laughs> tell me what ChatGPT or this new iteration of AI is. Yeah, so ChatGPT um, is a conversational AI chatbot. Um, it is made by OpenAI, and um, basically you can prompt it to do anything, whether it's um, ask a question about your homework or um, any type of question, and it'll answer it for you like a human being would. Like a human being would, I guess, would be the distinguishing factor here. That is, how is it different than Google? Yeah, so um, ChatGPT draws from um, millions of data points from the web. Um, and so when it spews out an answer, um, it takes data from, um, yeah, it takes its data and then comes up with a very thorough response. Um, so, um, yeah, it, the responses can be very granular and specific to the question that you're asking. Um, and unlike Google, it kind of combines all the searches into one. And as I recall, I mean, I just don't have a browser open in front of me right now, but Google will take you to the answer. It will take you to the source, the site. It will tell you, here's where the answer is, but it doesn't craft the answer for you. That's the difference, isn't it? Right, exactly. Um, ChatGPT acts kind of as a personal assistant. Um, so what it tells you um, is kind of very similar to what um, a human being would say. In fact, you know, we kind of, 
realized, here's how nuanced it is at this radio station. I could ask Google or Wikipedia, tell me about WGN Radio and, and get a pre-written paragraph, something that's already on the web. When we ask ChatGPT to do it, though, it writes a brand new paragraph about us using those data points, which, by the way, is about 50-50 accurate and inaccurate so far for us, Aaron. Right. Yeah. So um, the thing that people should um, consider is that ChatGPT isn't perfect. Um, it is a lot of the answers it spits out is filled with uh, misinformation. Um, it can calculate things wrong. Um, the math isn't always perfect. Um, so people who use it should take it with a grain of salt. We did tell it to write a limerick about us, and by golly, that was a limerick, so it wasn't wrong in that sense. Um, but your article is more about what's going to happen to jobs in the future. Mm-hmm. That is, who's going to win and who's going to lose with this kind of technology? Right, yeah. So, um, yeah, the article is about um, the 10 white-collar jobs that ChatGPT may replace in the future. Um, and, yeah, I talked to experts about their thoughts on this, and... Um, they told me that uh, jobs that have a data analysis element to it, um, jobs that process lots of information, those are the ones at most risk for being replaced. So uh, we don't have time to go into detail on all of them, but I'll just quickly mention you all wrote media jobs, advertising, content creation, technical writing, mm-hmm. even journalism, legal industry mm-hmm. jobs, the stuff you would have task off to a, an assistant or a paralegal, market research analysts. You even said teachers and finance jobs, as well as traders, mm-hmm. graphic designers. I can understand that. Accountants, customer service agents. Um what do these have in common? What jumps out at you? Yeah, so jobs like media um, and the legal industry, um, they require lots of text-based information. And um, ChatGPT is really good at um, kind of reading and interpreting text um, and creating its own answers from it. Um, so yeah, any um, type of job that requires uh, writing or some sort of number crunching um, is um, really good for ChatGPT. Well, you think about the amount of time, even with Google, it would take you to research something. This, boom, does it like that. And then somebody maybe needs to proof it. How about a teacher? Give me a description of how, a, how somebody could be taught, how, how ChatGPT would displace a teacher. Yeah, so this is a more controversial point. Um, I mean, Sam Altman, the CEO of OpenAI, he said in an interview that um, it's a more interesting chat, using ChatGPT is a more interesting way to learn. Um, it's more personalized, um, and yeah, it could um, help with um, homework. It could um, help with um, you know writing essays, and um, anyone has access to it. So um, yeah, I um, experts did say that it won't fully replace teachers, um, it would mostly serve as like a supplement to, to teaching um, because there's a lot more that goes into um, teaching than just um, giving information. Amen to that. I mean, no yeah. kidding. Aaron Mock is a tech news reporter at businessinsider.com. Uh, check this out. Chat GPT may be coming for our jobs. Here are the 10 roles that AI is most likely to replace. You can read it at businessinsider.com. Let's talk again, Aaron. Thanks for your time today. Thanks for having me.